Uh, so who am I? I'm Zach Sanders. I'm the ministry admin here at church. Um, so I help administrate ministries. <laughs> so that's what I do. So if, I, if you ask, hey, what do you do? I'll give you a long response that doesn't make any sense. I do a lot of little things. So uh, that's my description. Uh, so uh, for the 4th of July, how many of you guys have the 4th off? You're doing, okay. I want to hear really quick. All right, Mary, what are you doing for the 4th? Anything fun? Staying home. Anyone staying home on the 4th? Taking it easy. Nice. All right. What else? What else we got? What else we got? What else we doing? Mariners game. Right. Anyone going to the Mariners game? He's got tickets. See him in the back. They're free. He loves to give them away. He's a good guy. Anyone else? Yeah. Family and friends barbecue and you're all invited. Right on. Thank you for that invitation. I appreciate that. That'll be good. Um, It'll be a lot of fun. Fourth of July is always amazing. I know some do fireworks and some go and, and, you know, hang out with friends and family. That's awesome. It's a good time of what? Unity, right? So when we're coming together, we come together and we do things together. And so um, the topic today, obviously, is the power of unity or the strength of unity, whatever you'd like to call it. Um, Our nation was founded on unity. It was founded on unity which is kind of a tough thing because it was built out of a revolution, right? It's built out of a revolution. So the status quo wasn't working and they kind of overturned the status quo in their revolution, right? But they were unified, or at least for the most part, not at first, but gradually over time. And uh, history is a great teacher. History is one of the best teachers. I used to be a teacher and history would teach me many things, right? Even as a kid, you read things in history, it helps you from getting... it prevents you from getting in trouble with your parents. So for example, my sisters, anyone have older siblings? Okay. So for me, uh, my older siblings made some really uh, poor choices growing up. And I was able to see those poor choices, learn from their history, and not repeat the same mistakes. Anybody have a similar experience? Okay. How many were the ones that made the mistakes? You were the forerunners. Nice. You made history. Well done. Your parents will remember you forever. So that'll be great. Um, but uh, yeah, unity unlocks a lot of things. One thing is, is blessings. Another thing is life. So let's turn to Psalms 133. It's a very short passage, but we'll turn there. So it says, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there, now this is the key, all right, the key of the whole passage, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. So when people live together in unity, it's good and pleasant. The the first part in verse 1, maybe we can jump back to that, Psalm 133, verse 1, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And then at the end in verse 3, it talks there, in unity, he bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Actually, the Hebrew word for um, unity in this passage is the word yakad. Now, I'm doing my best with that, but uh, everyone say yakad. All right, and that means uh, together or unitedness, right, or unity. So when you're thinking about unity, it means being together, being united. And uh, for example, like if you can even see this in sports teams. When a sports team is not in unity, they, don't, they tend not to play very well, right? They tend not to be on the same page. They tend to miss passes. They tend to miss shots. 
right? Because they're not in unity. Same thing with a family. When a family is not in unity, you see the fruit of that. And so even in our lives growing up, where there's such a blessing. If we can just get a hold of that and realize that there's such a blessing on us and life on us, if we can live together in unity, be peacemakers in our families, peacemakers in our workplaces. So we'll start off with some stories uh, in the Bible. There, and, and this is kind of what I'm going to do today. So I'm going to go through kind of some things uh, that have to pertain to unity, uh, especially in the Bible. Then we're going to talk about our nation and kind of how that was founded and some unifying factors that have brought us together here at this point in history, right? Where we can now choose to stand united or choose to stand apart. So I'm going to start with the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. Not a traditional story talked about with unity. Normally it's talked about with sin or uh, disobedience. Uh, But we're going to learn about the Tower of Babel. All right, so we're going to read this quickly. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. They had a what? A common? Oh, you can do better than that. They had a common? All right, perfect. Thank you. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar. I'm saying these wrong. I apologize. And settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. All right, here's the key. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same what? Language. They've begun to do this. Then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. All right, verse 7. So come, let us go down. Interesting. So there's a little bit of the Trinity talk here, right? So let us, the Lord is talking, let us, talking about Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it's called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world, From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Let's go back to verse 6. This is the emphasis of the whole passage. So verse 6, just back one more. There we go, thank you. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they begin to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Interesting. Interesting. It's because they had common speech. The word language there in that passage is the Hebrew word safa. Everyone say safa. All right. Oh, you can do it. Maybe more like Mufasa. You know, Mufasa. Ooh, right? From Lion King. Let's try that. So everyone go, safa. That's good. You guys are participating. I'm proud of you. Well done. All right. So that word means uh, a few different things. It means lips. It means speech. It also means edge. Hmm. Why would that word mean edge? Let's break that down. Let's think. The edge of a square, or any shape for that matter, an edge is what? Straight, all in one line, in unity. So when we look at that, they had the same language. They had the same lips, the same speech. They were saying the same thing. They had the same focus. They had unity. Now, was it for a wrong purpose? Yes, it was. But God recognized, look, they have unity. Even if they're doing the wrong thing, they have a unity there. Interesting. 
that's interesting. Nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. That's amazing. That's available to us today as Christians. But on the flip side, the positive side. That's amazing. That's amazing. It kind of relates to uh, when Jesus talks about in Mark 9, 23, and we can go there if we want, if you have it, um, when basically the boy with the unclean spirit is there, and the parent comes and is basically asking Jesus, can you, know, can you heal him? And, and Jesus responds, if you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. So let me ask you this. What if a whole group of people believe in one thing with one voice, one edge, one safa, safar, excuse me, safa, I said that right. What if everybody came together with one voice, one speech? Things would get done. Things would get done. It's, it's funny, too. When you have unity with what the Father is saying, it's, more e- it's easier to get uh, activities finished. It's easier to pray for people. Like, for example, when you're in unity with the Word of God, you know that healing is for you, that God doesn't make you sick. I, I hear a lot of people you know, who just kind of in my dealings with people, as you guys know, in your dealings with people, they'll sometimes say things like, oh, it's the Lord's will that I'm sick. I need to learn a lesson, right? And so I think it really what it is, is the devil's just making you think it's God. So his job's easy. He's out of the picture. He just steps back and watches the mess. That's how I would do it. If I was going to sabotage your life, I would make you think I'm not even there, Right? Because then you're not fighting me. You're fighting something that you perceive as the enemy, which would then be God. So God's your friend and your enemy? That doesn't make sense. So I see people who aren't united with the word of God. They don't know that healing is for them, right? And maybe that's you here. You're like, you've always thought your whole life you got sick and it was God's will for punishing you for your sins. No, that's just the fruit of your sin probably, right? The devil's just using your junk to try to get at you. But God wants to heal you. You come to Jesus, what did, he, what did he do to basically everybody who came to him? He healed them. He healed them. He healed them. That's what he did. And that's what you guys get. That's what I get. And that's when we're in unity with the word of God, we know his truth. We know what he's saying over a situation. We know what he's saying over us. We know who we are. We have the right identity. We see ourselves in the right light. Second story we'll talk about from the Bible, and then we'll move into uh, a little bit of the American Revolution, is uh, Luke 15. And this is the parable of the lost son. I think we'll start at verse 22, Luke 15, 22. So you guys know the story. Uh, this is where the, the prodigal son basically uh, takes his, his inheritance early. And he goes and squanders it in uh, a foreign place, just ruining kind of his life. Um, basically disappointing his father and his brother. And then we get here. Let's try it. Let's go to verse uh, 22. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Now, this is the end of the story. The the son has come back, and the father has gone running to him, right? A, a, a nice analogy to how Jesus runs to us. When we turn from him, we turn back to him. Even when we're just going that direction, he runs to us. He runs to us. 
The father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, here's the key of the passage. We're going to move into it where there's unity here or rather the opposite, disunity. So let's see. Next passage. Now, his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to them, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. A good news report. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. Basically spoke to him, what's going on? But he answered his father, look, These many years I've served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. So we see bitterness has crept into his heart. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fattened calf for him? He's like, really? And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So the brother had some bitterness in his heart. Now something interesting about that was a feast was basically given in honor of the younger son. A feast was given. That feast was not just for the one it's uh, for the younger brother. It was also for the father, it was for the servants, and it was for the older brother. The feast was for everybody. It's not a feast if you're the only one there. There's no party if you're the only one there. The party is for the people also invited, right? So when we look at that passage, we understand that that older brother missed out on the whole point of this whole thing. That unity, if he had been in unity with his father in celebrating the other brother, if he had been in unity, he would also have a feast thrown for him as well. That feast was for him as well. And a lot of people miss out on that. I'm not going to celebrate that person Because I I haven't gotten anything. Why do they deserve that? Rather than celebrating with that in person and then also receiving the blessing that was on them as well. There's a lot to be said when we're in unity with our brothers and sisters, especially in the church, because a lot of times we can get jealous. And I've been guilty of this too. I see Holy Spirit poured out on somebody, right? And then I'm in a drier season. And I'm like, why is this happening? I've prayed more. I've read my Bible more. You know, whatever. Whatever your list is of of things you've done to earn Jesus, right? I appreciate you guys laughing. That was good. (laughs) But whatever your list is, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter because if you were in unity with that person, if you, if you celebrated that person's successes, if you celebrated the way God was touching their life, you would receive that blessing too. He's throwing a feast all around that person. Everywhere they go, they're touching people and touching hearts. You can be a part of it or you can be against it. There's not like an in-between. So when we're in the church, we need to support others around us. And believe me, and believe me, I am very guilty of this. I'm very guilty of this. And God's been working on my heart in this. But unity is the most powerful thing because there's blessing there and there's life there. And so if you surround and encircle your fellow people at New Horizon and beyond, when you encircle them, even when things aren't going your way, you will receive the blessing that then is on them. 
It's amazing. It's amazing. Isn't that good? Yeah, so good. Unity is a powerful tool of good. If we choose to accept it, if we choose to use it. I know we always want to, but it's harder to walk it out. It's harder to walk it out. Even though the roots is our nation, Jesus has played a key role in building unity. It's kind of funny. When you, we just took a class, um, and some of you uh, have also taken it, the CLSC class on the history of Christianity in America. It was a great, it was one of our Bible school classes. It was a great class. It's really easy to see when you take a historical class and you have a Christian perspective to see how God has actually moved throughout the history of America, right? And we're kind of biased because we live here. We're like, God blesses us. He loves us, right? But he does. I mean, he does. He, he founded us on certain truths. He founded us on the truths of the Bible. Our, our founding fathers, not all, but many were Christians. Most, I would say, were Christians, believed in God. And sometimes it's not as easy as to notice how God's moving among us, especially in our country today, right? Our unity, our perceived unity on Facebook, isn't that good, right? But that's perceived. You've got to remember the loudest voices don't necessarily represent the population. Doesn't necessarily reflect people's real views. So when the news is saying there's disunity, discord, murders, all this stuff, right? What they're doing is basically painting a very negative picture. Now we can choose to take that negative picture on and view everything through that lens of negativity. Or we can say, you know what? Things are actually getting better. Things are actually getting better. Actually, things are really good right now. You know, and look, there are some problems, sure. Right? We're not going to paint a rosy picture. But we're more unified than we think. We've been around for hundreds of years as a country. We've survived war after war after war. We've survived internal problems. And I will tell you, the founding fathers, when they started our country, the, the, from George Washington to John Adams, the turnover of power of presidents was a key in our history. Now, they, they went through a lot of uh, problems with unity during that time. A lot. And I think our nation today doesn't even compare to back then. So I think things are really getting better. I really do. I haven't seen anyone tarred and feathered in a while. (laughs) Have you guys? No, okay. But things are getting better. So we can't always listen to the news and accept it as truth, especially when the bias is for negativity, for fear, for rejection. The devil likes to use that. But uh, it's good to remember that things are getting better. That God is on our side. That everything we put our mind to will succeed when we're in him, right? So, so let's remember that. So let's go ahead and talk uh, about the uh, 13 original colonies, right? So we have, actually, okay, test. Test time. Former teacher, I apologize. Okay, so test. what were the 13 colonies? I want you to shout them out. Ready? Actually, no, I want you to tell your neighbors first. Come up with a list. Ready, set, go. You have 30 seconds. Tell your neighbors what the 13 colonies were. If you get just one, you're successful today, okay? You just need to get one. Just one of the 13. Don't say Texas, please. Just don't say Texas. Okay. 
All right. Shout it out. Ready to go. Connecticut, Maine. Oh, Maine was not one. Pennsylvania. Virginia. Delaware. North Carolina, South Carolina. (laughs) Hold on. I'm going to go over here. Yes. Massachusetts. Yes. Massachusetts owned the area of Maine. They actually had a really big territory. All right. What else? Rhode Island. New. Hey. Yeah. What's up? Bringing it home, Frank. I love it. New York. All right. Anyone say Georgia? Anyone say New Hampshire? Anyone say Vermont? Well, you were wrong because Vermont wasn't one. (laughs) Sorry, I had to. I had to. I had to. I think I heard Rhode Island, right? Anyone say New Jersey? You did? All right. Right on. Yeah, I think we got him. Pennsylvania? Okay. Maryland? You said that one? Okay, good, good, good. Sorry, there's like a hundred voices. Everyone's saying blah, 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 blah. So it was hard for me, okay? It was hard for me. All right, so the 13 American colonies were those that started out. Remember, um, they were started uh, under the British crown, uh, and, and they came across the ocean in what would be one of the bravest times in the history of our nation. You're going to a totally unknown place. Totally unknown. You're settling a totally unknown place. The societies that they were creating, the rules that they were making was totally unknown. It was totally unknown. They didn't know if their, their contracts, if their constitutions would work out. They didn't know if they'd hold up. So they had, even the, the yeah, it was, a, it was a crazy time in our history. But it was also one of the best. So the role of Jesus uh, and the church was the greatest unifiers of the colonies. And you may not even know this. So the colonies actually weren't united. So we have a picture of the colonies going all the way up. It's kind of hard to see, I apologize, but... You notice that uh, kind of orangey red on the uh, far right side of your diagrams is where the 13 original colonies, basically where the boundaries were up until about 1763, because we see uh, the red line is the proclamation line of 1763. We'll talk about that in a second. But um, yeah, so you have those 13 colonies. And and Jesus was the greatest unifier of those because actually there was a, a navigational axe that we created that said that those colonies could only trade with England. So they actually had very little, they could, they could trade uh, in minor terms with each other, but their main trade was England. England was their mother, right? They did, had all the dealings with the mother. They didn't really hang out together, right? They didn't like each other. So the colonies weren't actually united. There were a bunch of separate entities who governed and controlled themselves, almost like micronations. They had minor trade with each other. They didn't deal with each other very much. And most of their interactions were with England and with the king. But the greatest unifier was through Jesus. And a lot of people don't know that. They don't know how did all the colonies unite against, against this powerful British monarchy who had control of virtually the whole world. In 1588, the Spanish Armada was destroyed, which meant that Spain no longer had control of the seas. And up until that point, they had controlled everything. But they lost their armada in attack against Britain. I think of a a divine appointment from God. I really do. That most of their entire armada was destroyed in uh, in a storm on their way to attack Britain. Interesting. Interesting. So then Britain then finally got control. And then at that point, Britain was then able to send uh, out um, colonists to settle the land. So we're looking at one part uh, of the history of the nation. It's the Great Awakening. Anyone heard of that before? 
Okay, Great Awakening. So Great Awakening, if you're not familiar, it's a series of revivals um, that have kind of been grouped together under the term Great Awakening. Uh, if you're not familiar with what a revival is, a revival is this an instance of something becoming popular. So in terms of the spiritual terms, it'd be uh, Jesus becoming popular again in our hearts, in our hearts, right? So it's revivals, uh, miracles breaking out, crazy encounters with the Holy Spirit. That's, that's kind of what a revival is. So there's a grouping of revivals from the 1730s roughly to about the 1770s. Uh, and so everyone know independence was on our independence day that we celebrate the birth of our nation from Britain started in what year? 1776. So the Great Awakening went from 1730 to 1770. So basically, we, it's all the way before up until the wartime. So this Great Awakening occurred. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, even by non-religious scholars, it's interesting, it's seen as the first major intercolonial event. It's the first time that all the colonies were involved. It was the first time that they were all unified under something, under a perspective. And in, in, in this term, it was actually in Jesus. And so it's very interesting. It's very interesting. George Whitfield was uh, one of the main preachers of that day. You may have heard of the Wesleys. They were around then too. Um, who else? Jonathan Edwards was around during that time. Any of those names sound familiar? You've heard them before. Okay, so powerful preachers. We're going to talk about George Whitfield. He was uh, one of the biggest. So this is George. Everyone say hi, George. Yeah, he's a cool guy. I wish I would have met him, but no, he sounded pretty cool. Anyway, he got his start in England. He was originally from England. He was born in, okay, now I'm, my wife studied in England, so she's, I'm going to, okay, Gloucester. Gloucester. So it, it looks like Gloucester, but they, they say things weird. So it's Gloucester, England, is where he was born. And he was part of the Wesley's Holy Club, which was at Oxford University, where uh, basically they got together and they devoted themselves. They had a method, and they became what was known as the Methodists, but they had a method for studying the Word and reading their Bibles and praying, and they, they were methodical about doing that every single day. And they dedicated themselves to that, and it was called the Holy Club. And so anyway, the Wesleys went to Georgia to help uh, uh, Oglethorpe start a colony called Georgia, which basically was revamping how they saw prison systems. So the prison system was revamped because a lot of the, the people in prisons were actually uh, those in debt, debtors. So they had, they had no money, and that was the reason they were in prison, but they couldn't pay off their debts to get out of prison because... They had no money because they're in prison, right? So, so it was kind of counterproductive. And there's a lot of people in jail because of that. So what they started to do is they started in England. They started to send people down to Georgia to work. So you could go to the new colony. You could work. They'd send cash crops back to England. You'd work off your debts. Sound make sense? Yeah, it worked for a while. Um, but basically, the Wesleys went down there to minister to the people who were arriving there. And then... Um, when they left, they made George Whitfield in charge of the Holy Club. He wasn't there very much longer, but he did get his degree. And then he ended up following them to Georgia. And he wanted, one of the things on his mind was to start an orphanage. And that orphanage isn't around today, but there is a, uh, it's called the, Beth- let me see, the Bethesda School. The Bethesda Home for Boys. He started that in 1740. It's now called the Bethesda Academy. It's actually still around. Uh, it's a little bit different purpose now. But can you imagine? He created something that's lasted for hundreds of years, right? It means it's probably started by the Lord, right? It probably has the Lord behind it. Anything that lasts for hundreds of years probably has the Lord behind it. And so 
He ended up going down there, and he was a minister. He was powerful. He actually, in England, he was one of the first ones to preach in open air sermons. A lot of the other preachers, uh, itinerant preachers of the day, traveling preachers of the day, would go from church to church and uh, would just kind of do what we're used to, right? They'd just stay in the churches. But he was the first one that was, let's do some open air stuff. Let's go in the open air. Let's go in open fields and just preach. And so he did that. He actually attracted thousands of people. And so then when he came to, uh, he came to the Americas, he started experiencing huge crowds of people from every denomination that was around. Every denomination would come and watch. And actually, some of the churches, some of the universities got a little jealous because they kind of liked their, they didn't like unity. They kind of liked their own thing, right? And we can see this in a few organizations today, right? They don't necessarily want to play nice, and that's okay. That's okay. But George Whitfield was about uniting, uniting people. He's about uniting the denominations. You love Jesus? Awesome. Let's worship him and serve him together, right? And so something interesting about him was he actually uh, was one that went through all the colonies. He started in Georgia, or he started in Georgia, went back home to England, came back into Pennsylvania, met Benjamin Franklin. I have some funny stories about him and Benjamin Franklin. And so anyway, so he met him and he started preaching to thousands of people, 8,000 people, 20,000 people, 25,000 people at a time in a field. Now, even, even Benjamin Franklin was amazed. He was like, how is he talking to thousands of people? Newspaper reports were saying he was speaking to 25,000 people at a time. That's amazing. That's amazing. There's no microphone. There's no amplified voice. It's just him shouting to a crowd. That's amazing. So Benjamin Franklin was like, you know what? I'm going to see if this is possible. So he and I have a story, and I'm going to grab it for us. It's actually from his journals when he talks about George Whitfield. Uh, and then do we have Benjamin? Yeah, he's kind of grumpy in that picture, but there he is. <laughs> Old Ben. All right, anyway. Okay, he said this. I had the curiosity to learn how far he could be heard by retiring backwards down the street towards the river. So where he was talking, he basically started walking backwards, kind of testing out how far he could hear. And found his voice distinct till I came near Front Street, when some noise in that street obscured it. Imagining then a semicircle, of which my distance should be the radius, and that was so smart guy, right? And that it would fill with auditors, those could hear, to each of them who would allow two square feet, I computed that he might well have heard being heard by more than 30,000 people. This reconciled me to the newspaper accounts of having his preached to 25,000 people in the fields. That's amazing. 30,000 people could hear him at a time. No amplification. Everyone say Jesus is awesome. Yeah, he's awesome. Right? So Benjamin Franklin, uh, another funny story, and, and maybe I'll just summarize. Um, but Benjamin Franklin went to go hear him. He heard some things about him. Benjamin Franklin wasn't necessarily a Christian. So he was, he was kind of just that guy, right? He, he believed in God, but he, didn't necessarily, he wasn't necessarily a Christian. And so what he did was he went and heard George Whitfield speak, and he heard that he'd been taking offerings for, um, for the orphanage that he had in Georgia. And so Benjamin Franklin was uh, going there. He had some money in his pocket, And so this is pretty funny. So this is what he said. He said, I perceived he intended to finish with the collection, and I silently resolved he should get nothing from me. (laughs) 
How many have ever done that when a preacher came around, yeah? <laughs> this pocketbook staying in my pocket, all right? I had in my pocket a handful of copper money, three or four silver dollars, and five uh, pistoles, Spanish coins and gold. As he uh, proceeded, I began to soften and concluded to give the coppers the junk. And just, oh, okay, fine, take some, right? And another stroke of his oratory, or his speech, speech uh, uh, writing, speech making, made me ashamed of that and determined me to give the silver. And he finished so admirably that I emptied my pocket wholly into the collector's dish. All right, we're going to take an offering right now. Just kidding. Just kidding. But it's pretty funny. Pretty funny. So George Whitfield was a uniter. He united the colonies. They, there's stats that say up to 80% of uh, the population of the colonies heard him speak at one point. First major intercolonial event. Amazing. And then we get, we fast forward so he came around 1740. We fast forward now into our next time frame, the French and Indian War. And we're probably going to kind of end with this. Uh, but basically, tensions between the colonists and the Native Americans increased. Colonists wanted to increase their size, their capacity, wanted to move out because they were getting crowded. Native Americans had been there. They didn't want the uh, colonists necessarily there. right? So there was a, a, uh, a war that broke out. It's called the French and Indian War. Everyone say French and Indian War. All right, so that was actually termed, also called the Seven Years' War back in Britain because Britain at the same time was fighting France and Spain on the high seas, right? So we had basically two big wars going on, one in North America, one in Europe. And there's other countries involved like Prussia and, and Austria and those kind of, those areas. But basically what was going on was a worldwide war. And uh, Britain was trying to secure the empire and obviously France and Spain were fighting against them. And so it uh, was interesting because during this time, the, the Americans were called to help. It was the first time the colonists were expected to help out with the British expansion. And so they ended up fighting for the, the British, and they were actually called um, uh, into being soldiers and militiamen, and they ended up fighting hard. And they were promised reimbursement for all of their services. They were promised reimbursement for the use of their land, their livestock, their livelihoods, because basically they put everything on hold to then help fight. So it's not just like, okay, I'm going to fight, now I'm back to normal life. No, they put their whole lives on hold, families and all. Anyway, fast forward, Britain wins, they gain all, actually, let's go to that proclamation line, uh, that 13 colonies slide, and it'll be kind of hard to see. That red line uh, basically is where the colonies originally were. We have in the northern section, you'll see all of those forts, all the black words you may not be able to see from where you're sitting. That's basically all the territory they, they stole from France. So Breton, or France, so to speak, they stole, they earned it, I guess, through the war. But that's the, that's the territory that they, they then occupied. Now, the colonists were expecting, oh, we're just going to get a move, we're going to expand. We finally won. We fought hard. We did all the work. No. No land was gained by the fighting. Payments promised for those who fought were not reimbursed. The proclamation line, that red line, was established. You can't pass this line. The colonists essentially risked everything for nothing. Would that unify some people? Yeah, probably. So we'll fast forward. We're coming to the end of our time. 
God used these moments. And maybe I'll invite the worship band up. God used these moments, the French and Indian War, Seven Years' War, whatever you want to call it. He used George Whitfield and the Great Awakening, which was the basis for uniting the colonies. What were they based on? Jesus. They had Jesus as a solid foundation. They unified to something. They unified to an idea. Some of them become dis- became distressed, discontented, in debt because of the French and Indian War. Interesting, it reminds me of David. Who surrounded David? Let's go to 1 Samuel 22.2. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. Remember, this is after Saul had tried to kill him. He was hiding in the wilderness. He himself was in debt, discontented, and in distress. And they gathered to him. Because why? They could be in unity. And they ended up getting a lot done. But they chose to come together as a common people. So we have to understand, here in America, we have a solid foundation of Christianity. George Whitfield and the Great Awakening unlocked a unity that had never been seen in the colonies before. Jesus unlocked uh, a unity that we are now reaping the benefits of today. So what I'm calling us to is to unite ourselves to each other. Maybe you're discontent about the way things have gone, maybe in your own life personally, maybe in the way America is today, and the things you see on the news, and the way young people are being raised, whatever it is. Maybe you're feeling great. You're like, Holy Spirit's been moving in my life. I love this. This is the great. This is the greatest. It's awesome. This is a time for us to come together in unity, to get things done, to celebrate the successes of those around us, the way that Jesus is touching the lives of every single person around us. change everywhere we go. Real change. 
not arbitrary. Just have every eyes closed, every head bowed. We're just going to pray right now. If there's something in your life, you just hear like, you know what? I could do better at joining myself to people. How do you do that? Connect groups. Join a connect group. Do a summer house party. Go to the Rainiers game. Get to know the people around you. First thing is getting to know people. Next thing, linking yourselves, your heart to them. Get uncomfortable. Go and outreach. Help those who really need help and will never help you back. Just bow our heads. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for this time. We thank you that's unity. I just want you to, I just have everyone's heads are bowed. I just want you to lift your hands. If you feel like, you know what, I need to be in unity. I need to be in more in unity. It doesn't mean you're not. It just means you want more. You want to be further linked with the people around you. You want to further support. You want to make the foundations of a Christian nation into and bring that into today. If you want that, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. God, we just thank you right now that we pour it out. We pour out a unity on this place that has never been seen or experienced. We thank you for a togetherness, a unitedness that has never been seen here at New Horizon. God, we thank you that you're linking hearts together, that everyone who's in distress, discontented, in debt, would find support, would be surrounded, would be well-loved. Those who are already in unity would be continue to build a unified people, would continue to build a unified church. And we give you our hearts right now, God. We give you our hearts. Everyone say, we give you our hearts. We give you our hearts. We give you our hearts. And we'll spend time together, God. Help us to spend more time together, to love each other, to build relationship. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for today. Thank you that we get to be unified. And everybody said, amen. Oh, we can be in more unity. That's it again. Every said, amen. All right, let's end with this worship song in unity. Sing our hearts out to the Lord who brings us together, gives us hope in the future. Amen.